think. All right, I think we're live. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> Sorry, just a second, y'all. This is uh, a new setup that uh, I am trying to get to work. Hang on just a second. Appreciate everyone's patience. I got an Outback ad I have to get through. YouTube and Google changed the technology of how I produce this show. This is the first one under the new system, and it took me a second. So I apologize for the delay. Here we go. Let's see if we can get this to work. Uh, sort of. I got to fix the screen. That's a dagger. Let's do this. How about that? Does that fix it? Jesus. What a pain in my ass. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. Just be patient with me. I got to get this to work for the first time. Let's see. Does this work? One Mississippi, two Mississippi. Yep, okay. We're off and running. All right, welcome, everyone. This is the promotional malpractice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. Finally got it to work. Um, I'm using a program called OBS now, so it took a while to get accustomed to it. And I appreciate everyone's patience, both getting started late and getting some of these things worked out. Uh, okay. Hope you guys are doing well out there. I've been gone for a few weeks. I appreciate everyone's patience while I was gone. I had a vacation that was very, very weird, but good in the end. I feel rested. Uh, I shaved today, if you can see, right? Didn't want to look too much of a slob. Some of you guys have been making hilarious comments about it, and uh, here we are. It's messed up. Yeah, no, I've, I know it's first. Okay. Audio sounds echoed. Uh, we'll see how that sounds. I don't know how that sounds. Uh, okay. Hope you guys are doing well out there. Oof, that does sound bad. Hang on. Let me see if I can fix that. Uh, I don't know what to do about that. Uh, check, check, one, two. I don't really know what to do, to be honest. I don't... Don't know what to do. Let's see. Is that fixed? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Because, um... This is new. So I'm going to try and keep this going. <laughs> this is a disaster, isn't it? I don't know. Let me ask my boss how this sounds. You're like, oh, look, why didn't you try this beforehand? Uh, I did. How's the sound? Sounds messed up, apparently. Um, this is new. All right, no, now it sounds better. So I'm going to try and keep this going. <laughs> I don't know. F it. We just got to keep going. I can't wait on this forever. If you guys can live with it for this time, I appreciate it. I'm so sorry. We'll get it worked out for next time. Thank you so much for watching. Um, glad to be here. Let's just go ahead and get right down to it with the time we've already lost. Um, I will try to make sure that the recording for uh, the one I put up on podcast sounds a little bit better than this. If you can just deal with this for the time being, I appreciate it. I'm sorry. Okay, let's get moving. First question, since we already lost so much time. Oh, housekeeping note. The day before I left for vacation, I had a meeting with the t-shirt guy. We are in the final stages. I suspect we'll have something for you very, very soon. Very soon. 
Uh, it's going to look awesome. You guys are going to really like it. Okay, that out of the way. Let's go. First question. Diaz. Who makes sense? Excuse me. Who makes sense for Nate next? And any news on the older Diaz's suspension and fine? Nothing on the latter one. Who makes sense for Nate next? And since Lawler isn't fighting Cerrone, would you say it's much more practice they don't make Lawler versus Diaz too? Well, provided that the older Diaz can get off suspension, it seems like the right fight to make at this point. I, I don't know. Although older Diaz has said that he's not interested in that one. We'll see what they ultimately do. Um, as for Nate, I don't know. He's out there on Twitter saying both those guys are afraid to fight him. I don't know that I like his chances against either guy at this point, um, especially at 155. Um, although I suppose things with Eddie could be a little bit different, but we, we'll see. But someone was saying, what if uh, what if McGregor wins? Would his first title defense be against Nate Diaz? And on its face, that sounds kind of crazy, but... Who really knows what's next for Conor McGregor if he wins? If he wins this, people are like, oh, well, he'll just sit back and defend both titles. And I'm like, what on earth gives you confidence he'll do that? Since winning the featherweight bout, he's got two welterweight fights, although one accidentally welterweight, but two welterweight fights, and then now he'll have a lightweight fight. Uh, who's to say he won't go to welterweight? Who's to say he won't drop a belt? I mean, it's just not... Who's to say he won't take catchweight fights? You know, it's Conor McGregor. He can really call his own shots at this point, so... I don't really know. Nate Diaz would not be the most deserving candidate, for sure, but he would hardly be uh, so crazy that it's out of the realm of possibility. Uh, let me fix the audio. Everyone's complaining about the audio. Let's just do this. There. Let's shoot this. Alright, next. As I try to be not distracted by the Alright, hey Luke, hey, I hope you enjoyed your vacation. Certainly did. A couple of questions. One, predictions for the three title fights at 205. Well, it's early. As you guys know, I reserve the right to change my pick depending on how things go. Um, I would say Ian Jacek, Wonderboy, and um, boy, that Alvarez McGregor one is hard to call. I believe that McGregor is the betting favorite. Although not by a substantial margin. I don't know that I have a pick I'm ready to make for Alvarez versus McGregor, but I guess I lean McGregor. Because if we're asking about McGregor's ultimate weaknesses, what are they? One, I think despite the fact that he showed tremendous grit in that fourth round against Nate Diaz, I do believe there are lingering questions about his ability to go 25 minutes in terms of his cardio. Um... Not substantial ones, but ones that someone could potentially exploit. I do believe that the wrestling advantage certainly resides with Alvarez. And if Alvarez were to fight a very disciplined game plan, I think he could win. I don't think that this is but I don't think this is out of the reach of either guy. This is not like Cody McKenzie versus Chad Mendes or something. Um, I guess I lean McGregor only because I'm just trying to noodle this through. I you know, Alvarez has made a big to-do about, like, the way you beat McGregor is you just wrestle him. No one seems to want to wrestle him. But I, I have a hard time believing that the bell rings and he comes across the cage and just takes him down and tries to wrestle him. I think that would be a prudent game plan. You can slow McGregor down. It's a lot easier to handle. His power diminishes. 
Obviously, uh, his movement diminishes, both of those things. But people always talk about, oh, McGregor's got big power. He certainly does. He's got great movement. He's got good, reflexive reaction. You know, we talked about before on the Monday Morning Analyst, that inside slip that he hit on Nate Diaz all the time. It's really, really a big part of his game. And if you can take that away, you can take a lot away. Um, but I just don't know. Part of me feels like Alvarez is going to go in there and start slinging it with him. And Alvarez is nothing if not hittable. Now, he is a, he's very, very good at coming back from that. He's good at taking the shot and rebounding. Okay, fair enough. But against someone who's got, like, the pinpoint accuracy and the power of McGregor early, I just feel like the way to beat him is you got to get up in there and start making him wrestle from the, from the word go. From the word go. Take away his movement to the extent that you can. Diminish his power to the extent that you can. And then move on with it. Uh, if it stays together, is this the best card in UFC history without question, true or false? Well, I think we'll the answer is probably yes, given the relevancy of the matchups, the number of contenders, the number of hometown guys, or at least a couple now, Chris Wyman being uh, one of them, and some of the Jersey guys, the Millers and the Edgars, and so forth. Um, and when I say local, you know, you have to, no one's really counting the Polish contender that's going to be there, presumably, for A.J. Shek and Cole Kavish, so it'll have a real New York feel to it, and I think that's, and, you know, a tri-state area kind of feel to it as well. So that's great, too, right? Um... And it's got, you know, Romero versus Wyman, that's huge. Three title fights, that's huge. And any number of other important contender fights. Frankie Edgar, I mean, Frankie Edgar's going to be fighting Jeremy Stevens in the prelims. That tells you that there's a significant amount of um, important week. Uh, Cerrone versus Gasol. I mean, I, you, you get the idea. Um, the one thing I would say is, the only thing I would caution is to say, let's see how the fights play out. You know, UFC 200, even with Jones dropping off, seemed like it was going to be pretty good. Oh, my God, Daniel Cormier versus Anderson Silva, this is going to be tremendous. And in the end... Um, a couple of fights were great, obviously, early on. The Lozon fight, the Miller fight were great, and there were some other good ones, too. But the, the only thing you have to really say is how the fights ultimately play out is really important. I don't anticipate we'll get three boring decisions, especially with McGregor, you know, uh, as such an offensive fighter in the way that he is. But nevertheless, who knows? What if he goes in there injured or gets rocked and has to, you know, fight a different way? You just never know. You just never know. So let's see how the fights play out. But I think the early optimism is definitely warranted. Uh, Aldo's play to be released and retire. Good move or not, and why? Personally, this is him talking, not me. I can see why Jose is deeply frustrated by this whole thing. He's an all-time great, likely the best featherweight ever. No, definitely the best featherweight ever. And he feels like he's being disrespected. It's understandable. But saying all that, I think some of his PR moves have been poor. Ripping the promotion on fighter pay, then towing to the promotion line at the UFC 200 presser debacle, and then tweeting about it. That was funny. Talking about fighting anytime, any place, then not following through. There's other examples. Now he wants to retire and do other things. I just can't see how this is a wise business move. Exercising leverage is one thing, but where does he go from here? Seems a little rash to me. What do you think? It's, this is a weird one, because you guys know as much as I do that in this sport, nothing is ever what it seems. Oh, I want to retire. Oh, I want out of my contract. Is that really what you want? Hard to say, right? In fact, most likely that's probably not what he wants. What he wants is to keep going and to have his needs as he sees them met. The question is, is this the best way to go about doing it? I would probably caution that it's not. But let's review the facts here about what kind of leverage he has. People says he has no leverage. I'm not sure I buy that now, because he has as much leverage as Conor McGregor. I mean, a fraction of that, if that. But he does have some. So if you're in Brazil and, and you're one of your the Brazilian media partners in the UFC and you're finding that one of your Brazilian champions wants to quit the sport, that's not really good for business. We all sort of know 
how important um, Brazilian success is for uh, the, the UFC's efforts in Brazil. And you can quibble with why that is, but it is. And so for him, as you mentioned, arguably the greatest featherweight of all time, certainly a top Brazilian star, uh, now a, a entrepreneur in that country, uh, a small business one, but nevertheless, that would be bad for them. That would not be good. They would not want that. So you're now you're putting pressure on some of your media partners in your own business, really, in another country. So that's not great. More, moreover, think about it. Like, if McGregor wins at UFC 205, which is very possible, um, and then he gets the 145-pound belt already, and he, now he collects the 155 and drops 145. So that means you lost McGregor and Aldo in your featherweight division. You want to talk about depletion at the top. They don't want that either. right? I mean, they, they could live with it. It wouldn't be something that would backbreak the UFC, but this is hardly the kind of precedent you want to set, and this is certainly not the way you want to manicure a division. So that would be real bad, too. So both of those factors give him some kind of advantages. In the end, I don't think that's a ton, but it's worth acknowledging that he has a little bit of a hand here. It's not 2-7 offsuit. It's more like a pair of nines or something. It's a little bit closer to that. Uh, whereas, you know, McGregor's got the royal flush. So, so that's what we're talking about here. Um, I don't know what he's going to do, man. I really don't. I thought about this, too. I, it's really hard to predict what kind of solution might get him out of this. Uh, because how do you really guarantee anything? What are you going to say to Jose? Like, when Dana White told him, oh, you'll get a title shot of 200, you know, um, or after the first fight McGregor has, you'll get a title shot. How do you even guarantee such a thing? Oh, I guarantee the sun will rise tomorrow. You know, it might, it might not. Um, to sort of use David Hume logic. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is, McGregor is so impossible to pin down that unless he has lost, and even then it's kind of hard to do it, but unless he has lost, you have basically no leverage over him. Not right now, anyway. Um... That win over Diaz was super important for his career. Because if he had lost to Diaz in the two in a row at a, even if it was a bizarre weight class, it would have really forced his hand in a different way. Now they can't do that. And if he wins again, I mean, he'll be on top of the game in a way that basically no one ever has been. So, like, Dana White can say to Jose Aldo, look, dude, I'm going to do everything possible to get you a title shot. There's just no way to guarantee it. There's just no way to guarantee it. How do you know that you can make him do something like that? You can't. This is not like any other thing that they have. And they can say whatever they want about, you know, we produce all different kinds of stars. You don't have another star like Conor McGregor. And you don't have another guy who is as active as Conor McGregor. You just don't. Um, so, you know, his willingness to compete, but compete on his terms, and his terms can be all over the place. How do you promise any contender anything? The one thing you could maybe promise would be a champion. And he's an interim champion, but he's not the champion. That's it. Unless you got a title, it's really, really, really hard to get him to do anything. So I don't know what they're going to do. It's going to be worth paying attention to. What kind of solution gets him to back out of this? Or is there anyone? Uh, I guess we'll see. Who is Jeremy Stevens, LOL? Poor Jeremy. Oh, poor Jeremy. I felt so bad for him. He's a nice, well, I mean, you know, I guess he has some kind of criminal history. But in my dealings with him, uh, he's been a, a professional. And it, this just goes to show that if you want to go after McGregor, or you want, forget McGregor, if you want to play the dozens, you need to both be good at playing the dozens and have back pocket material. And if you want to go at McGregor, you better go at him with something that's not impromptu because you, you're feeling emboldened in the moment. 
He will skin, he will skin you alive. And that's what happened to poor old Jeremy Stevens. He got skinned alive, man. He really, really did. Uh, okay. Regarding Cyborg, who do you think would win in an open weight fight where the fighter couldn't weigh more than 140 pounds between Cyborg and Mighty Mouse? Probably Mighty Mouse, but that is a weird question. It's a good one, too, actually. Huh. Probably Mighty Mouse. Uh, okay. Dana's comments on UFC Unfiltered. Now, I've not heard many of these, so forgive me. Welcome back, Luke. This shows how vacation was pleasant. It was. Thank you. Miss you guys, too. Recently, Dana White appeared on the UFC Unfiltered podcast and expanded on a number of topics. Some of his claims are very interesting, so I was curious what your thoughts are about some of Dana's specific thoughts and if you have any information on some of these claims. One, Dana had dinner with Chris Weidman before his fight announcement. He said that Chris needed to fly out to visit with Lorenzo in order to gain some sort of closure before his fight could be confirmed. I have not heard anything about that. Second, talking about new UFC ownership, Dana said Ari Emanuel is going to work, is getting work done on deals that we never could before. That should not be surprising. That was part of the reason why WME picked him up, right? They have all, we, we had talked about this, but folks are about it. We talked about this on the chat. These guys have existing relationships both in Hollywood and in, and, and because of their, their various other sports properties, they have hands in other entities in the sports ecosystem, not least of which are sponsors or other, you know, um, different types of vendors where they can then attract into MMA in ways that even for all Lorenzo Petit's progress, he just doesn't have those kinds of connections. So uh, that to me is not surprising. Now what they are specifically, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Dana said that Roy Nelson should be buried by the Athletic Commission for his actions against John McCarthy at the end of the big facility fight. Yeah, we went over this previously. I mean, it's not on this chat. I guess on the radio show last week, or was it this week? I guess it was this week, because the fight was on Saturday. Um, yeah, I was glad to see that there was at least some consistency from the Jason High incident to the Roy Nelson incident, at least from the words that Dana White was saying, but I really don't understand the lack of action here. Uh, it would have to be explained to me about why there is a measure of restraint from what the UFC is willing to do. So this, this notion that we have to follow the commission's lead I don't quite understand why that's the case. You can cut Miguel Torres for rape banjo. So there's a morals clause in these fighters' contracts. The idea of putting hands on, however innocuously, a referee seems more than enough to qualify. Now, to be clear, 100%, let me, let me say this. I didn't think Jason Hines should have been cut, and I definitely do not think that Roy Nelson should be cut. Roy Nelson should not, not be cut. However, I don't understand what sort of system of justice you have where Jason High is not only cut, and this is the commission's fault in the latter sense, but then put on ice for a year. I mean, that devastated his career for a short period of time. He's now in the World Series of Fighting as a consequence. It's not the end of the world, but that's not. For a fighter of that talent, he should have never been cut to begin with. In the case of Roy Nelson, again, I do not think he should be cut. You know, what you want to do, aside from that, I don't know, but fine, or whatever the case. But um, just saying we have to follow the commission's lead, it's, it's, not, it's not abundantly clear to me why that's the case. I can understand why you would be deferential to them, but USADA exists because they're not deferential to the athletic commission. Because they recognize that's not, in their minds, enough of the job getting done. So other things have to be done. Um, I suppose they don't want to like hammer him if the commission is going to. right? If the commission says we're going to murder you, that's fine. But that the commission did that to Jason High, and then they cut him anyway. Commission didn't make the UFC cut Jason High. They cut him on, on their own. So I, 
I don't quite understand that. I, so I appreciate the fact that he went out there and the things he said on that podcast were in keeping with the spirit of the things he said prior to UFC 174 after that fight night with RDA and Jason Hyde, but uh, I, I would like to have it explained to me why being deferential to the commission first is the prudent course of action here. And then in response to questions about what type of heckling bothers him, Dana says something to the effect of, when I see the MMA media trying to talk about the business, they have no effing idea what they're talking about, they know nothing. Yeah, of course we don't. Uh, thanks very much, there we go. Can't believe your skin pulled out a win on Sunday. Suck it, New York. Let's see. So, Dodson versus Lineker. How do you see this fight going down? Are there any other fights on this card you're looking forward to? So I had John Dotson on my show on Monday, and actually we talked about this fight, of course, and I asked him a couple of things. I was like, you know, what's the most formidable thing about um, John Lineker? And of course, I think everyone's going to say his power, which he did as well. But I really believe that there's two more aspects to John Lineker that really have to be contended with um, if you're going to fight him or even really analyze his fights. Number one, he's got a hell of a chin himself. right? He, the, the problem is guys will stand in the pocket, big punchers even, like Michael McDonald, and they'll crop, they'll, they'll, they'll They'll smash him. They'll land hard shots on John Lineker. He just kind of eats it. And he has a real big power. Again, if you're going to play the dozens, the dozens of fisticuffs, um, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. And so that, to me, was kind of interesting. He didn't really take that seriously. He was never going to hit by me. Okay, fair enough. Uh, John Dawson obviously can crack. Legendary power, right? And then the other aspect I think has to be really contended with, and this to me was really clear in the Rob Font fight, and Rob Font is not necessarily Jordan Burroughs or the wrestler, but is, I thought had pretty good takedown attempts, and Lineker's scrambling was incredible. Incredible scrambling. So if you're asking me, like, what is the difference between John Dodson and uh, John Lineker, I think Dodson's a little bit more of an invasive fighter, and I do think he's quicker. Uh, maybe power for power, they're the same. But I think... Dodson's going to have to be on his horse on this one. It's a five-round fight. He has faded in fights. He faded in the Pat Runez fight, and obviously in uh, some of the Johnson fights, he's faded as well, So, uh, especially that first Johnson fight. So, so to me, it sounds, I guess, like I'm leading Lineker, but part of me also wonders, like, can Dodson's speed help him get the takedown in ways that fought not only not being as fast, but taller and lankier, so having to cover more distance and level changes to get down? Would have prevented. I, I don't. I don't know yet exactly. Or think about it, but um, I won't say that Dotson had a cavalier attitude. But I guess what I would say is he seemed unusually dismissive of Lineker, the things that make Lineker what he is now: heavy power puncher, walks guys down, can eat a tremendous shot, and is very good at both takedown defense and scrambling. That's a formidable guy. Should the UFC cut Roy Nelson? No, they should not. Hope you enjoyed your vacation. I did. Thank you, guys. You've been very, very kind to me today. I appreciate it. I would like to know your thoughts on the UFC not cutting Roy Nelson. John, they say they will, they will wait for the commission to handle it. You just in high did the same thing. They didn't even cut him. Is this just a case of UFC not wanting Nelson to go to Bellator? I'm sure that's that. But they don't have to, like... There are other forms of reprimand that they could do that don't involve cutting him. I just don't understand why they haven't gone that far. Like, not cutting him is the right call. I'm not mad at them for not cutting him. That's fine, whether it be because they don't want to do a Bellator or not. He doesn't. Just, if he had gone off and just like punted 
Big John McCarthy's face or I kicked him in the ribs or something to a degree that was hard and, and, and assault as we traditionally understand it, that would be a very different conversation. I mean, you cannot touch a referee. Okay. But Brassy, like what he did to Big John, I mean, I've been in more serious physical confrontation on the subway trying to get on the subway car during rush hour. It's not, it physically was relatively innocuous. It's just that the act was so brazen. That's the difference. Um, and so what you need to do is impose some kind of penalty to get him to realize that there is, a, 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 it may be thin, but there's a red line. Uh, since you've been gone, like Kelly Clarkson, I wondered what your thoughts were on Shale signing with Bellator and what, if any, impact the signing has. Yeah, this was a big one that happened. I was on vacation, and I was trying to keep up with MMA headlines every few, every few days, and I saw this one, I think, as it happened. Um, yeah, this is great. This is really great for Bellator. This is a huge signing for them. I don't know what this means for Shale's responsibilities in terms of his work on ESPN. Uh, there may be some details that I'm missing that relate to that they may have already been answered. Well, let me fix my share here. There we go. Uh, I guess what I would say is some were saying this is the biggest signing that Bellator's ever had, and I don't buy that. Um, Kimbo was a bigger signing, and the reason why is that Kimbo... Let me say this. Kimbo is a bigger signing, but a different signing. And here's what I mean. If you're talking about absolute numbers, I'm not saying that Shell Sun versus T or T won't do big numbers on Spike. I think it will. I think it definitely will. It, it's, a, it's a home run for them. Let me just be fundamentally clear about this. It's a home run. But Kimbo slices... Um, you, you, you know, that Dada 5000 fight is such a punchline, people forget. Kimbo Slice is a popular attraction... I think it supersedes whatever Q rating um, Sonnen has. Now the difference though is that Sonnen, while he might be lesser than Kimbo, I don't know that he's tremendously lesser in terms of what he'll do on television. This is not pay-per-view business. People are like, well, how many pay-per-views has Kimbo ever sold? This isn't the pay-per-view business. This is the television business. On television, Kimbo is a, is a god in MMA. Um, and, but the difference is that one, Chael Sonnen can do a lot. Right? Let's say he can't get over 3 million like Kimbo can. He can probably get over 2. That's great for Spike. And maybe he can even hover close to 3, depending. Number 2, he can be more reliable as a headliner. You know, he doesn't need to disappear for months on him. And he can fight at a at a pretty high level still, especially once it's Kimbo. Right? And he can fight much, much higher level. Now he's a real deal competitive athlete. Um, so, and he's got this promotional vehicle with his podcast that is very, very popular, and he's good at doing media, and he does a lot more media than Kimbo, and he can do media tours. He just has a real gift of gab, obviously, and this, um, you know, he's got inroads in the media. Like, everyone in the media probably has his number uh, in their phone book. Uh, you know, I'm sure many do. And I think that accessibility is just going to be easy for him to be consistently high. You know, Kimbo would do these big fights and go away, and these big fights would go away, and he would look bad in between, and there was just all these questions raised about who he was fighting, and so there was a cost that had to be paid as a consequence. Sonnen just fits into the architecture and the process of how a fight is signed, 
promoted, executed, and then so forth. He fits into all of that much easier and more regularly. And so that's why he might be a more important signing than Kimbo. I just don't know that at his absolute peak, he can reach what Kimbo did. But if you're asking me, like, given a choice, who would you sign? I would sign Sonnen before. You know, obviously Kimbo is um, sadly deceased, but you know what I mean. If it was one-to-one, Sonnen provides not the absolute peak that Kimbo can do, but so many other things he can do. And I think that's really, really, really important. Polish power. Just how awesome is the title fight between Joanna and Jacek and Karolina Kovalkiewicz, and how much does the excitement around this matchup say for how the women's mixed martial arts world as a sport has come? Uh, this is a tremendous, tremendous fight. You know, on the outside, I think Kovalkiewicz is going to get chewed up. But the question is how this is going to look on the inside. And uh, Kovalkiewicz is nasty on the inside. We saw that against Nami Yunus, but so is Jan Jacek. This is going to be brutal. I don't see this fight going the distance. I think these two are just going to hammer each other too much for that to happen. But one of the things I really look for at women's MMA fights when they're on these big stages is everyone was like in love with Ronda because she would do like flowy, huge high amplitude throws and then these quick arm bars. And she was, rather than just sort of punching someone, using her body and her manipulation of it in this uh, almost artistic but certainly scientific uh, way to achieve these great outcomes. That's great. I'm glad that's a part of it. But I don't... I don't want women's MMA to be, well, in men's MMA, they punch each other. In women's MMA, they, you know, they delightfully grapple each other in these sweeping, beautiful motions. Uh, and I'm not saying you or I think that, but I, I, I would rather casual fans know what's up with A, Yuani and Jacek, and know what's up with the potential for certain women's MMA fights to look. Some of them can look brutal, and a lot of them miss Jessica Penne versus Juani and Jacek. Yo, some of them look that way. Let's let's show it to them, right? I don't say that in like a bloodthirsty way. Let's let's show that to them. I would like to see that. I would like them to see that. I would like them to see that it's not some sort of sanitized Zumba version of MMA. No, they get busy, and these two in particular get busy, and they're gonna get they're gonna get ugly on each other, and. And you should bear witness to that, because that speaks to a truth about women's fighting that Ronda Rousey, I feel like, for all her accomplishments and great things, kind of camouflage. No, some of these women are pit bulls, and they will, they will disfigure each other if given the opportunity. And we're going to give them that opportunity. Uh, Habib versus Johnson. What do you expect to see happen in this ace matchup? And who has the most to gain and lose from this fight between them? Well, definitely, definitely, definitely. Habib has the most to lose. Check this out. As I understand it, I spoke to someone today. As I understand it, not only was Habib given the option to be paid and not fight, uh, which he didn't take. He wanted to take a fight. Um, I've, I'm told, now I haven't had this confirmed by UFC, but I am told that UFC was going to put uh, two other people on that card, or just one other person on that card, and they decided not to and put Habib versus Johnson on there. Now, who that person or persons are, I wasn't told, but I guess the UFC was headed in another direction for a fight to add to this card because they felt so bad about what happened to Habib. They said, you know what? If you want to fight, not only will we give you a fight, we'll put it on 205 just for you. So um, kind of an interesting uh, way to assuage some of his anger. Now, as for the fight itself, uh, sick fight, super sick fight. I think Michael Johnson um, 
I don't think he's even close to the wrestler that Nurmagomedov Madoff is. But Nurmagomedov, Madoff, as we know, had these wild entries and takedowns. And I put that video yesterday, sort of just trying to recap the situation about UFC 205. There was some pushback about Nurmagomedov's resume, about, well, what about Tony Ferguson? Well, Tony Ferguson hasn't beaten RDA yet, and he has a fight with coming, so he's booked either way. But I would say that there's a fair argument to make that, like, Ferguson's resume is more current. That because of that inactivity, Ferguson was doing things during that time that I think has given folks this, uh, a reason to say, hey, what about this guy? But at the same time, Ferguson's also lost. Um, the Madoff never has. I, I'm a little reluctant to hold a guy's injury against him, especially when they line up in a queue. Like, Tyrone Woodley, the work he did to get the title shot, there was this delay before it actually happened. But once you start lining guys up, I don't like leapfrogging because one guy might be more active if one guy is out for a bit. Now, you can debate about how long that is or what those accomplishments have to be before you get that reordering. But once a guy sort of assumes a natural number one contender position doesn't lose, I'm very reluctant to take that away from him. So to me, that's where I'm coming from. But either way, grasping about this fight, definitely Habib has more to lose. I think it's a very winnable fight for Habib. It's only three rounds, too. Uh, but Michael Johnson, as we saw, can crack. He can crack very quickly. He's very, very good. Now, Reza Magadi had his way with him in terms of the Western department. And if that's the case, well, Nurmagomedov probably will, too. But uh, a good test for him. And look, if Michael Johnson wins that, geez, man, you beat, you beat the guy that literally no one's beaten before. That's a huge, huge win for him. Um, you know, if he loses, it's not great for Michael Johnson, but I don't think it's a backbreaker either. But that would be a backbreaker for Nurmagomedov. You are on the, you literally signed bout agreements that never were materialized on the other end. Then you took a fight when you didn't have to, and then you lose. Ooh, that would be that would be bad. That would be very, very, very bad. As you can see, I'm still off the wagon. Sorry. Weidman versus Romero. How do you see this fight going? I see Weidman maybe having trouble early and then wearing Romero down. I think Romero's cardio problems are not are not um, are not imaginary. And I see um, Weidman. Weidman, you, know, you got to give him credit. Whether it's the Rockhold fight, whether it's the Anderson Silva fights, whether it's the Leo Machida fight, you name it. Weidman has zero issue about getting in someone's face and walking them down. It's like you you guys just think it's automatic because he makes it look automatic. If you tell a young fighter, hey, the way to win this fight is when he's backing up and you're going forward, he doesn't strike and you can get off first or whatever. Just make up the logic. But that's what you want. You want to go here, he wants to go here. Make him go here. You think that's just automatic. That you just start, that, okay, bell rings and they go walk. They don't. <laughs> they don't. Even experienced ones have trouble with it. It's hard to get them to mentally put themselves in a position where they're w willing to heel toe like that. Chris Weidman has zero issue doing that. It's very, very impressive to just watch him fearlessly, you know, uh, engage in that process. So I have a ton of respect for him when it comes to that. I just wonder, you know, he's going to be slower than Weidman or than Romero early, and he might take a big shot. We'll see. But if I was him, I would just try to wrestle Romero, try to get hands on him. Even if it doesn't lead to much, just make it a part of the process. And then, you know, Weidman's cardio has not been great at times either, although he usually triggers up to injury problems. Um, if he's healthy, then that's the way to go. Because once you get to the end of that middle of that second round, then you can really just put it on him. And I think Weidman at that point is just a more skilled MMA fighter. All right, true false. Haven't done one of these in a while, Yes. UFC 205 at MSG will break all previous pay-per-view records. 
false. But I don't say that confidently. McGregor versus Alvarez could resemble a longer version of Mendez versus McGregor with the same outcome. Could resemble. True. It could resemble that. Despite Yoel Romero's freestyle wrestling credentials, Chris Weidman has better MMA wrestling. He's better, all, he's better overall as an MMA fighter, I'll say that. Dominic Cruz was brilliant with his deeply analytical commentary over the weekend. 100%. You watched the Monday Morning Analyst, I gave him an A-. minus. Why an A-? minus? Well, he does basically everything correct, and the detail which he goes into is, is extraordinary. But the only criticism, and this is it, and it's this big. It's not this big, it's not this big. It's this big. Uh, he talked over Annie a little bit. A little bit. So what you know is Brian Sanders. Brian Sanders is very analytical. Maybe not as much analytical as Dominic Cruz. However, Brian Sand has really, really, really sharp broadcast timing. Where he knows just enough to say, and then gets out. And then hands up. There's this constant tagging. To the, 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 the two are a tag team. And people are like, well, I don't mind if Anna doesn't talk and Cruz does. Well, here's the truth. When Cruz talks too much, and again, this is not a major criticism, but I'm just trying to point out to you. Forget Cruz and Anik. Name two other guys, X and Y. Well, when Y talks over X, what ends up happening is he's not still going into all this analysis. He ends up doing X's job for him. Now, you see that with uh, Goldberg and Rogan, and I've sort of come to live with it, but it's not the ideal pairing. You don't want Rogan having to call the action. You want Rogan having to give the color commentary, something he's obviously very, very gifted at. Um, and that balance becomes lost a little bit in the UFC um, in the case of Goldberg because I think they have to cover for him. But you don't have to cover for him. So if, if, if all Dominic Cruz has to do is just dial it back a little bit and he will be sublime. I mean, for our first time doing it, you know how good, good that was? Jesus, that was really good. So like my criticism, people are like, oh, because I'm Dominic Cruz, you do better? No, I've tried commentary. I suck at it and it's super hard. And trust me, I wasn't that good my first time. Dominic Cruz is a beast. John Dawson's speed and footwork will frustrate and confuse Lanker, causing him to lose the unanimous decision. Maybe true. I don't know. Michael Johnson is the fastest fighter in the lightweight division. False. Roy Nelson should face some sort of punishment after shutting him down. McCarthy. Yes, true. Cyborg Justino would likely knock out Ronda Rousey if they fought. I would bet on it. Yeah. From the elevator situations to the in-caged antics, UFC 203 was the weirdest card in UFC history. It's up there. It's a poor old CB dollar, man. Oof. And I, I never had the chance to talk about CM Punk. Boy, I was, that would have been fun. Uh, Crazy Horse had one of the best post-fight speeches ever after he earned a knockout victory at Ryzen. It was, it was magic. It was magic. Magic was in the air that day. Eddie Alvarez. Surely Eddie Alvarez used his title as a bargaining chip to negotiate a great payday for the UFC 205. Is Connor, through verbal digs, telling future opponents to use him as a bargaining tool to get the best payday possible? That's what I got on this war of wars with Alvarez and the presser. I mean, I don't know if he really cares if his opponents do that or not, but he's certainly given them the opportunity to do that. Um, yeah, I don't... Eddie didn't challenge it. To my knowledge, I don't think he did any new negotiation. I don't, I'm, I've not found that to be at all uh, true. I think he took what was already in his existing contract. This is what I'm talking about when guys are 
And I kind of, no one's asking it, but I kind of want to get into it a little bit. Um, look, obviously, Eddie Alvarez does not have nearly the same bargaining position that Conor McGregor does, not even, not even close. Not even as much as Jose Aldo, to be honest. Um, in some ways, because Jose Aldo is at least important for a huge market. In ways that Eddie Alvarez is not. Um, but, you know, Eddie Alvarez, did he negotiate his new contract? Oh, did you see Jeremy Stevens getting roasted? These guys can't play this portion of the game that well. Now, Eddie is not bad at media by any stretch of the imagination. But not Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor has a gift, a true gift, a, a real deal, no doubt about it, gift. And uh, I just sort of want to point out something here. Like, there's been this debate online, and I had it on Twitter with various people, and all very smart, reasonable people. And reasonable people can disagree, of course. This is not, you know, anyone should be in a position to lecture anyone else. But I made this point in the video yesterday. I kind of want to go into it a little bit. Look, here's the truth about, I think, McGregor versus Alvarez. As the name of this podcast states, it would be promotional practice to not make that fight for any number of different reasons. One, you've got a guy with an extraordinary amount of leverage in Conor McGregor who's probably going to make you do it. But then these other market conditions where it's your first time in New York, you made any number of promises to his other lawmakers about how big this was going to be and the number of times you're going to return to the state. Their back was against the wall. So, um... And it's champion versus champion. There were just counter. There were there were there were overriding reasons to make this fight that are pretty clear to understand. Um, arguably the biggest card in UFC history, right? And, and capped off with a crown jewel like that. You can understand that. Um, but folks have turned that into. Well, there's no cost to this. It doesn't. There's we're, not only are we going to do it. This is the best way to do it. And there's no there's no collateral damage, and I just don't see how you can possibly even think that's true. How could that possibly be true? It's it's by definition not. You got a guy who wins the featherweight crown, and then his next three fights are two at welterweight, one at lightweight, and you're going to tell me the division's not on hold. You have an interim champion who's willing to quit because he can't get a fight. Uh, against the champion, which is to be expected, and you're telling me the division's not, it's by definition on hold. And there's this other argument that folks are like, well, you know, he, what's, what's left from 145? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? How can you say that he has no title defenses at Featherweight? You don't get to say there's nothing left for you until you've beaten guys at least twice. You gotta go beat Aldo again and Holloway again. At some point later on, Mendez again. And oh by the way, you never fought Frankie Edgar. And guys, you don't get to say that the magic of mixed martial arts is that you just never know what's gonna happen and guys have losses on their record because it's impossible to stay undefeated when you're fighting the best all the time. And then also say a champion with zero title defenses in his division doesn't have anything left for him. That is just ludicrous. Now that is not enough reason to say, well, we should have done McGregor versus Aldo at, at UFC 205. Um, we have, you know, I can understand from a business and, and frankly, um, even a sporting greatness kind of reason to override those concerns. But the architecture in place where you have divisions and those divisions have contenders, 
That exists for a reason. It's because the overwhelming majority of fighters need that. This system where guys like Conor McGregor, when they face Eddie Alvarez, can get new money and don't have to defend their title, that's great for him. And where he can go to press conferences and just, you know, like Scorpion, throw a spear and get over here and light him on fire in Mortal Kombat to old Jeremy Stevens. Fatality, flawless victory. That's good for, for, for Conor McGregor. But this chaos is not good for the sport generally over time. It's good in, this, in these individual moments, of course. It's going to be great for the sport in individual moments. I'm just pointing out, saying things like, oh, well, there's no cost to this. What are you talking about? You've got guys who are spending their lives in these divisions who are being overridden for these other considerations. And it's fine if you're going to do it with some kind of idea that restraint matters. Right? We'll do it in the case of Conor McGregor because we might be the biggest pay-per-view of all time with the biggest card of all time. Okay, that seems like a pretty good reason to override divisional structure and hierarchy. That, that, seems, that seems quite rational, actually. But to then say, oh, well, belts don't matter. The divisions are not on hold. No one else is being affected. That is just demonstrably not true. It's so not true. I think the smarter thing to say, and frankly the more ethical thing to say, is to say, look, in this particular case... I don't see how you don't make it Alvarez versus McGregor. However, there are costs associated with doing so, and we should acknowledge as much. Because this idea that, like, well, we should just do the big fights that whenever we feel like it, or not even big ones, just these weird matchups that have nothing to do with meritocracy whenever we feel like it, this idea that divisions should exist at all, or that there should be any kind of hierarchy, is just silly. That seems to me a very bad frankly dangerous idea about how to how to con control the sport. You want hierarchy. You want champions to defend their titles, even against undeserving, promotionally anyway, contenders, because keeping that orderly process keeps the division healthy over time. It's how new talent comes up. It's how other talent gets a chance at greatness. There's a process and a flow and, a, and an order here. And again, you don't have to obey the order to a fault. We can have debates about when to get out of it. I'm telling you, a case where you can have the biggest card of all time with a guy who can hold two different titles at the same time at once for the first time in UFC history, okay, that seems like a very strong argument. I'm not arguing with you. Make the fight. But then don't tell me that all featherweights also not a hold. There are no consequences here. You've got the greatest featherweight of all time threatening to retire. And maybe it's just bogus, but this is there's a cost to be paid here. Your champion has never defended the title at 145. He's taken two fights at 170, now one at 155. Oh, the division's not on hold. Guys, you don't get to say that things like, well, in boxing, when a guy has a 48-0 no record, okay, who did he fight? How much of his record is pattern? He's 48-0 no because he took 48 of the right fights, not 48 of the most consecutive tough fights. Maybe Conor McGregor goes back to 145 and just starches a lot of them for the next five years. That wouldn't even surprise me. But if... Look at Jordan Burroughs, or even Kayla Harrison. Kayla Harrison, yeah, she won two Olympic medals. She lost a bunch of matches in between. She was not even favored to go in there and win the Olympic gold medal. When you're consistently fighting the best, you lose. You lose. So if you want to tell me the fights that are more interesting to me as a consumer are McGregor versus Alvarez, who could possibly argue with that? But you don't get to say the division is cleaned out. What? He hasn't even started cleaning it out. You have to lord over that thing for years before you've cleaned it out. Because new guys are going to constantly come to the top. 
And all you have to have is one bad day. All you have to have is one sick day. All you have to do is have one moment where you're supposed to do an outside slip, and you do an inside one, and you take a big shot. That's all that has to happen. Ask George St. Pierre about that. He'll be the first one to tell you. It's hard to stay on top all the time, even though Jordan Burroughs couldn't do it. So if you want to make a claim about the need for McGregor versus Alvarez, you can do it. It's not hard. But to say that this McGregor logic can be applied sport-wide at all times, that we don't really need divisions, that belts don't matter, that hierarchy is overrated, this is a disaster waiting to happen. You need all of those things. What you also need is some kind of way to override it when overriding it in very limited circumstances makes sense. It's why you sign Brock Lesnar, but you shouldn't sign CM Punk. It's why you let McGregor versus Alvarez, and I think you might agree with this, but you don't allow Woodley versus Diaz or something like that. You make sure that Woodley fights the number one contenders. Most of you feel like that should definitely happen on that end. You're glad that Woodley is defending his title against the most deserving contender in Wonder Woman. That's what you want. That's what makes the sport go. There are gears in the watch that tell you the time. You need that. That is the architecture by which the sport is, is built. You don't want to be a slave to it, but you don't want to be dismissive of it either. We're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And you're asking what that might have to do with Alvarez and, and, and Stevens. All these pressures on these guys to be something that they're not. All these guys, all this pressure on them to be characters. They can't do it very well. They know how to get in there and win. That's the, to be as good as they are, that's all they really have time for. McGregor can do this stuff because he's a genius at it. it he doesn't have to do extra work. It just comes like that. So, so for me, I understand, like, what are you asking out of him when he ignored Gamayoff? What, he wanted to get injured? You want him to go and play the dozens like Conor McGregor? He doesn't speak the language like that. He's automatically in a disadvantageous position. What do you want from Josie Aldo? He got slept in 13 seconds. Yeah, he should have done better. But what do you want from him? He got back out there and he beat Frank Yeager handily. What else, what else can he do? He also doesn't speak the language. Oh, go learn English. Not that easy. So, I think we should be able to agree that Edgar versus Alvarez is such a big fight at such an important moment in time, both for the UFC and New York and those two guys. You make that. You're talking about all-time record pay-per-views, all-time great UFC card for a moment in time where McGregor can do something so, so special. And then the last one I'll say about this, everyone's like, well, what if he beats Alvarez? I don't think it's any, like, far-fetched claim to think he might beat Alvarez. He can very, very, very much beat Alvarez. Now, Alvarez can beat him, too, of course. It's a, it's a competitive fight. Let's just agree, it's competitive, right? Here's what I don't understand. If you start at the bottom of lightweight, and then you work your way up, and then you beat the champ, and then you get it, that is a very different process than just leapfrogging and then getting a win over someone. In other words, people are like, oh, belts don't matter, hierarchy doesn't matter, yada, 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 and then we'll, I just want to see the fun fights, I want to see the big fights. Then a guy goes over there and beats someone, and then you want to say, oh, well, now let's hold that achievement as the same as working up through a division and then holding the title and then reigning over a division. They're not the same kinds of achievement. In other words, you don't get to take this weird system where you're saying hierarchy doesn't matter, but the outcome at the top is still the same 
uh, value as someone who worked their way up and beat someone. No, it is not. No, it is not. You guys, uh, Matt Brown made an awesome point once about Steve Wonderboy Thompson. He's like, look at his career at 65 and 0 in kickboxing, whatever it was, 66, whatever. He was saying, you know how many times that guy showed up injured? How many times that guy showed up sick and he never lost? That is a super real deal achievement. Beating Alvarez is no easy task, but everyone has off nights. I'm just trying to point out to you, divisions matter because that's the way someone can say legitimately, I did everything possible to get to this point. I beat this person. I am the guy. You can't say, well, these divisions don't matter. Hierarchy doesn't matter. You skip all of that. A guy has a potentially, let's say, a stylistically strong matchup. Then they win. And you say, oh, well, now look, look at this. This is the same as having worked their way through up. And there's no need to fight anyone else. You already beat the guy at the top that doesn't have to fight anyone else at the bottom. You take a phony, uh, a, 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 a non-linear way to achieve, and you give it the same credit as linear achievement. I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can do that. And I bet you they will. I bet you if they do that, there are going to be people saying McGregor is the greatest fighter ever, or should be on Mount Rushmore. And certainly, if you hold two belts at the same time, dude, that is a hell, a hell of an achievement. It would not be the same as if you started at the bottom at lightweight and then worked his way up, or you know, started midway through or something, and worked his way up. There are two different kinds of achievement. And the second one matters more because winning every time you step onto that mat is very, very, very difficult. So, you know, it's 145, there's nothing left for him. What, what planet are you living on? So not true. So not true. So, world's his oyster. He can make his own rules because he earned the right. I'm not mad at it. 205 is going to be amazing. That main event's going to be amazing. I'm happy with it in this case. But don't take the way in which McGregor runs the world and say that's the way the world generally should be run. That's how McGregor's life should be run because it works for him. It doesn't really work for most of these guys, and it doesn't work for the way in which the sport is uh, uh, built and designed. If Joe Rogan retires, is Dominic Cruz the best option to replace him? I would still say Cruz or uh, Stan are my two favorites, probably. But, I mean, could you really go wrong with Dominic Cruz? I don't think so. Chael Sonnen, what type of numbers do you expect Ch uh, Chael to bring to Bellator? Good ones. How does he fare in the light heavyweight division? McGeary, King Mo, Davis, Ortiz, Rampage, Bonner. I don't think Bonner's fighting anymore. Uh, Vanderlei are all fun fights. Uh, McGeary, I don't think he beats. King Mo, mm, I don't know, probably not. Davis, definitely not. Ortiz, definitely. Rampage, definitely. Well, probably. And then Vanderlei, probably. But he's competitive. He's competitive. Uh, was that guy a plant? The reporter at the end of the presser flipping off Eddie was differently planted by Connor. Was definitely, you put differently planted. Was definitely planted by Connor. I don't know if it was planted by Connor, but yeah, some fan. Yes. The Dillashaw 100K fight purse wager offer. What are your thoughts on TJ offering to wager his whole fight purse with Cruz? as an added incentive to get a rematch. Um, you say, is TJ crazy, clever, confident, or even a little of each? I would say I understand what he's trying to do. Um, so look, if you're Dillashaw, man, what are you supposed to do? You go out there and you beat Rafael Sunset, UFC 200, and no one remembers it. 
Like, of all the talk after UFC 200, how much of it was, like, Dillashaw versus Asun style? Almost none. And Dominic Cruz has talked about he needs big fights. So you got TJ Dillashaw. Let me look at the rankings here, if I'm not mistaken. I believe Dillashaw is the number one contender, right? Yes, he is. So you got TJ Dillashaw, the former champ who lost razor thin to Dominic Cruz. Some of you thought that he won, and I don't think you could argue that. I had it for Cruz, but get the idea. He's the number one contender. He goes and beats the number two contender in Rafael Sunsau. Clearly, like, was it close? And he's going to lose out to the number six contender because that's the one that makes more sense. Now, we're back to this debate about at least Cody Garbrandt is a bantamweight and has competed at bantamweight for the last, I don't know how long. Now, Rivera obviously has competed at lightweight previously, but not in the UFC today. Um... This is slightly different in that, in that case, but you're you Dillashaw, what are you supposed to do, man? Like, I don't think this is going to work. <coughs> and frankly, it's a little ham-fisted. But if you're him, what is your alternative? What, what, do you, what could you possibly do? Uh, he's probably thinking, okay, if I do the 100K bet, that's a way for Cruz to get more money. And if he really believes he can beat me, then... We'll actually get that money. And this way I get my title shot. But it just doesn't work that way. Cruz is not going to want to risk any of his money to get any of yours. And um, he probably likes his chances against Garbrandt better anyway. So if you pour old TJ Dillashaw, this is what I'm talking about. Like, TJ Dillashaw can't play this game like Conor Rager. He, but he can go in there and fight his ass off. And you need a system that makes sense for the majority of your fighters. You need a system that makes sense for the majority of the fighters. You, yeah, of course, you need to get them to be good at media and everything else, but you can't pull blood from stone. You need a system in place that rewards this kind of guy. You can't say, oh, I want guys to compete at the most elite level and then also be these wild, larger-than-life characters. Some of them will be naturally. And for those that are, God bless them, man. You just have a big-time advantage that the rest of these guys don't have, and you should enjoy that. And Tom Rivera is already doing all that. But for the rest of them, just to say, well... LOL, too bad, so sad. I don't find that to be a real uh, adult, serious answer that we can take seriously about how to, um, or how do, we, how do we build a sport and arrange it and keep it moving forward? You do that with architecture. You do that with a process. You do that with a system. Uh, you hit the override when you need to, but you need to keep that system in place. UFC management, UFC fans' treatment of black fighters. Really, guys, I go on vacation and I come back and this, this is what you ask me? I haven't thought about this at all. All right, let's see. Paul Daly punched Koscheck after the bell and got cut immediately for his actions. Since that point in time, Gedalia, Rousey, Ryan, Benoit, scumbag, and repeated offender, this is his words, not mine, and a multitude of others have hit their opponent after the bell. Why haven't we seen any action taken against those fighters for hitting their opponent after the bell? Uh, I think because the UFC across the board is not quite as hard-ass as they used to be about enforcing certain norms or even provisions in their own contracts, to be honest. I think they thought maybe that what... Now, also, what Billy did was a little worse than what they did in some ways, but... Um, or at least, you know, slightly worse anyway. Uh, but... The UFC at that time was under a lot of pressure to be as clean as possible in terms of how it was governed and how it was presented because the violence was so bad itself 
by mainstream standards and they had to make sure they were really pinpointing and on the ball about being a corporation and having standards and all that kind of thing. Um, they're not as worried about it now and they also realize that like what Daily did was not an isolated incident. Like, it's going to happen. The fact that Daily did it should tell you that others are going to do it too. But no, I don't think it's because he's black. Daniel White liked Paul Daly a lot. And I don't think he did let go of him lightly. I think he let go of him to send a message to both Daly and to the fighters and to the mainstream. Why haven't we seen oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, There's also the incident with Jason High where he simply only shoved the referee and got cut from the UFC, but Nelson pretty much hit John, John's ass. Had no negative consequences for doing so. We went over this. Uh, do black fighters get the short end of the stick? Um, I don't think there is a pervasive effort to undermine the careers of black fighters at the Ultimate Fighting Championship. No. Where is the fan outrage for fighters that are not African American? And why is the UFC not consistent with their actions and punishing fighters? Don't you discuss it for any different conversation? Some get off the screen, some get off the hammer. Do I really want to keep going with this? I really don't. I'm familiar with that. Um, Aldo, any chance he gets his release? Probably not at all. But if he wants to compete in another sport, he doesn't need it. Well, okay, let me correct that. If he wants to compete in another sport that's not combat related, like he wants to go try and play for, I don't know, uh, Victoria in Brazil, uh, he can do that. He doesn't need his permission. Ryzen, did 10 million viewers in Japan alone, which is about the same range that Pride used to achieve. Uh, do you know if they have plans to expand their roster and do more shows in 2017? Man, I have not paid too much attention to Ryzen. I did watch most of that show. Um, did you guys see Chrome Gracie at that show? Keep your eye on that kid, man. He is, he could, could do something special. Could. This is especially interesting given the rumor that UFC is doing less shows cutting its roster in 2017. Well, they need to. They have 600 fighters in the roster. Also, what would a strong Japanese promotion mean for mixed martial arts? I mean, I think anytime you can, A, resurrect an old sort of uh, area of global polarity for strength in mixed martial arts, that's important. Japan used to be able to uh, have a pipeline for developing talent, which has in some ways been compromised. As you can see, I think, you know, relative to the old Bushido days, Bushido was different pride in and of itself, but <coughs> it's a lot less Japanese. Right, a lot of Scandinavian and, in this case, Iranian and Brazilian and American fighters, um, more so than a little more so than normal, because of having to outsource some of that. So I think it's not just a matter of can rise and do great ratings. Um, they have to resurrect some of the machinery of the sport in that country. They have to rebuild. Are there enough gyms producing enough guys in enough weight classes? Um, to make this more of a homegrown product, which I think ultimately will be a success. I, I don't know that the Japanese, I don't want to make any um, lazy comparisons between the Japanese and the Brazilians, but I do think it, it would, it's a fair comment to make that uh, for Ryzen to have any kind of long-term success, it has to ultimately be, uh, I think, you know, Japanese-centric. Not exclusively so, but predominantly. And I don't think it's quite there yet. So, uh, What's going to require that, or what's going to what's going to make that possible, is um, you know, when, when, when it, it's not it's not merely that pride went off the air. 
Uh, when five went off the air and other shows went off the air, a lot of gyms closed. A lot of guys who were going to be fighters stopped competing. Um, the overall industry con contracted. And I think what you need to do is find a way where if you want the other, I don't know if a return to five is even possible, but something approximating that on a regular basis, you have to rebuild all of the infrastructure that was lost. And that's, that's not an easy task. Uh, journalist questions at UFC 205. I was just curious, uh, how do you as an MMA journalist feel about the UFC reporter at the press conference who decides to use this question to turn into a hardcore of a fanboy? Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't think that was a real journalist. Maybe it was. Fighters flexing muscles with new ownership. Iaquinta and Aldo are the most extreme examples of fighters apparently testing their boundaries with the new ownership. Do you think there'll be a difference in tone in how these situations go with the Fertitas and Silva out of the picture or will it be status quo and being white still around? Um, this is going to be the story, I think, of 2017 and 2018 because I think by that point you might have some kind of resolution one way or the other about the Aliak. I think you might have some kind of resolution. I think um, Paul Gift at MMA Analytics has uh, put up a timeline for trial if it goes that far for the class action lawsuit. And I think that would be, I want to say, mm, November 2017? Could be wrong about that. But anyway, he has it on his Twitter page. You can go check that out. Anyway, there's a timeline for it now. Um, and then, of course, you know that the Professional Fighters Association just needs to be a 30% of the roster to essentially agree to have a vote about um, whether that should be their de facto uh, union, in which case they'll be certified with the National Labor Review Board, and uh, off they go. So, this is going to be huge. This is going to be really, really big. Um, but I don't feel like Ari Emanuel and WMEIMG are just going to take a line down. How to combat that? I'm not sure exactly. Obviously, we know about the over $100,000, which is, people are like, well, they, UFC is spending $100,000 on lobbying to defeat the, the Muhammad Ali Act being extended to MMA. Do you know how much $100,000 is in lobbying? I mean, you want to talk about... That is... That is nothing. Hundred grand is nothing. Uh, I would expect him to spend orders of magnitude greater than that if this thing actually moves through Congress. We're talking millions they will spend. Much, much. Look at how much they spent in Albany. I guarantee you that was uh, a minimum $10 million from the beginning of that process to the end. Minimum, if not significantly more than that. In terms of flying fighters out there and in terms of any kind of political donations they made, in terms of any kind of um, PR or lobbying firms they hired and any kind of marketing efforts. I mean, come on. All that's the sites they made that have to be maintained. We're talking so much money. So much money. So 100 grand is jack shit, to be honest. But okay, that's part of it. Um, we're we're going to see. We're going to see one of those things is going to break it. And I don't know which ones it's going to be, or somehow WMEIMG might break all three. They might defeat the Muhammad Ali Act. They might uh, get the class action lawsuit thrown out, and maybe 
PFA can't get 30% of the roster to sign off on, um, you know, uh, union cards. We'll, we'll see. But I think that's going to be a huge battle. I had Quinton, man, out there selling real estate. Like, talk about, like, putting your money where your mouth is. That's, uh, and we said it before. These guys are not going to get anywhere if some of them aren't willing to fall on their swords. Unless some of these guys really say, okay, there are real career costs to me boycotting or however you want to describe what they're doing, exercising leverage, whatever it is. Um, unless some of them fall on their sword, there is no progress. Looks to me like Iaquinta, and we'll see about Aldo, but at least Iaquinta is falling on it. He will just sell real estate if he has to. Um, I feel for him, but I don't, it's commendable, you know, in terms of sticking to your guns. All right, 215, let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. Let's see, is it time to say that Sage will not be elite, or is that still way too soon? Way too soon, way too soon. Uh, he has not been elite yet, no. And he needs to stop doing curls in the squat rack, <laughs> but... So infinite intelligent intensity can stop roasting him, but um, but no, it's way too early. The guy's so young, he's so young. How would each champion fare against the other? Tyron versus Bisping, probably Bisping. Bisping versus Cormier, Cormier, Cormier versus Stipe. Oof. Probably Stipe. Now that, that would be a really tough one. Go to facebook.com slash fightbook1. Some guy wants you to see his Liam McGeary interview. Uh, could Conor McGregor end up as the most important, not best fighter of all time? Oh, he's almost already there. He's not already there, so yeah, sure. Does Conor versus Eddie hurt Max Holloway the most, or does it hurt the lightweight division more? I don't know that it hurts the lightweight division more. We'll see what happens. Because if he takes the title and defends it, then I... I don't really, I don't, this is my point. Like, he wins the lightweight title and then drops from 45 and then says, I'll defend this lightweight title. Okay, no problem. Um, but, it, you know, who's to say he won't do that and say, I'm going to go to 170 again? You know, you might say that's crazy. Oh, he learned his lesson against Diaz. Did he? He's going to do whatever he wants. You know? um, I don't think it hurts Max Holloway the most because Holloway was going for that Aldo fight anyway and was kind of like a fight or two away. It's the guy right, right at the precipice that it hurts the most. Will Tyler Woodley get pay-per-view points for 205? I'm not sure if champions automatically get it, but I believe so. Any prediction for the main event? I'm leaning, leaning McGregor, but I haven't decided yet. You remember the UFC's voting PSA from 2008? I swear this was a thing. Nobody else remembers it. It went like, if you don't vote, you're not even in the fight. I don't remember that. You have a good memory, though. Uh, Mark Ward versus uh, Tam Dan McCrory. Who you got, Tam Dan? Bring that's a beast. Regarding Jose Aldo, is there a financial difference if you're the interim champ the same as being undisputed? There definitely is a difference. At least there can be a big one. Uh, McGregor versus Alvarez. Will McGregor prepare like he did for Diaz too, or be overconfident and not prepare right? One would hope that he would learn his lesson that a fair bit of humility actually transforms him. But we'll see. We'll see. The question is, does he need to? Right? Like nine times out of ten, a prepared Alvarez is going to be an unprepared McGregor. Nine times out of ten. 
Um, but that's the case with Sarah and GSP. Like, if you flip a coin 100 times, over time, 50% of the time it's going to land on heads, 50% of the time it's going to land on tails. You have two options over time, that's how it works, right? Um, let's say Sarah had a 1% chance to beat GSP. Well, that one time doesn't happen to happen, happen at the 100th coin flip. It can happen at the first coin flip. And so I guess what I'm pointing out to you is, like, even if McGregor's unprepared, that power, man, you'd be very, very foolish to sleep on that. I'm not. Um, but a prepared Alvarez and a prepared McGregor is probably, you know, 50-50, 60-40 in other one's direction. Seems to me like McGregor fighting Alvarez is a win-win. He wins, drops the 145-pound title, he loses, he's still champ. Assuming he wants to do that, what if he doesn't want to do that? Everyone's assuming he's just going to drop his 145-pound title. He might, he might. What if he decides he doesn't want to? Then what? True or false? I agree that Nate Marquardt's finishing combos of Gouveia and Woodley are among the top five. Yes, except the Gouveia one, the Wilson Gouveia, has been repeated since then by others. Pretty crazy, right? That was the, uh, it was like the punch, kick, and then spinning back fist. I believe that's what it was. Uh, any point UFC taking the stand it did with UFC 200 Connor, when this time they don't have a backup plan, they fold. True. Why hasn't there been an effort from MMA media to stop sites like BJPen.com from stealing content? Oh, believe it or is. It's not as easy to think. Copyright protections and intellectual property protections out there in the media space are not what you think they are. True or false? 205 will go past 2 million people by Mark, no. Is there any update on when your vote for man of the year, John Bones Jones, will be back? Um, I have not talked to someone about that. I need to do that. I will do that. Faraz Ahabi described Hendo's H-bomb as chemical warfare, meaning PED-related. Do you agree? I don't think that's what he meant. I need to hear that first. With the revelation that John Jones is still interim champ, does it seem that UFC is pushing him over Cormier? Um, pushing him over Cormier seems like a strong way to describe it. It's certainly giving him an enormous amount of latitude. Yeah. Tim Tebow hit a home run on his first pitch at bat. Are you ready to repent and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I don't think he wants me. Uh, how much is Connor worth to the UFC? Every penny. Uh, the handball was dope. Just playing. Great match. BBB. For Borish Dortmund. This was some Champions League talk. Y'all see Varane, Varane, beat Aubameyang in a foot race. That Frenchman is fast, boy. Uh, what do you think of the two new Metallica songs released in the last few weeks? The first one, Hardwired, was pretty good. The last one, I think it was like Moth to the Flame or something, Moth to the Flame, uh, sucks a lot. It's like dad rock that wants to be known. It's so bad, and now I'm all disappointed in it. So, there you go. Potential matches. Larkin versus Juban. Ooh, Larkin. Pettis versus Hayes. Hayes. Almeida versus Sterling. Tough one. Almeida. Holloway versus Pettis. Whew, man. 
That would be a sick fight. Um, mm. I'll say Holloway. Megamadoff versus Rothwell. I'll say Rothwell. You think PBC is nearing the end? They have no fights booked and over 200 fighters signed to their banner. So apparently Showtime is going to show some in the fall. But last night they aired on Fox Sports 1. And did you notice how janky it was? I think it was uh, Austin Trout was on the call. He's, he's obviously a, you know, a notable name for the most part. But, uh, you know, at first it was like Paulie Ronaggi and they were in these big venues. Remember the first PBC shows on Spike? These like grand things that reminded you of like UFC pageantry. And the budgets got smaller and smaller and smaller. And Dan Raphael reported that the pay scale for fighters was getting smaller and smaller. And they have so many guys that aren't doing anything. Lamont Peterson, Danny Garcia, Peter Quillen. Like it just goes on and on and on about who's not even active or has any plans. And apparently BBC's out of money. Um, I, if I was a boxing fan, I would have a real come to Jesus moment about that. Because the whole premise behind PBC was if we could just put on these big shows with big spectacles, reasonably competitive fights. And they had a couple on there. Uh, not as many as they should have been, which was not a problem with PBC. But there were all these different networks. Um, then we cannot, you know, not resurrect it, but certainly, re, you know, make it again part of mainstream fight consciousness. And as someone who watches an unhealthy amount of sports center, I have to tell you that they almost never talk about boxing. And they talk about MMA way more. But when I first started covering MMA, it was the exact opposite. And obviously with Pacquiao and Mayweather make headlines. Well, they make headlines, but there's been a real polarity shift, at least in North American media, about what the the dominant fight sport is of the current, uh, I'm not going to say generation, but I'll say moment. And um, I don't know that we have enough discussion about that. If PBC's plan, and you could say, well, the plan doesn't prove anything about boxing by PBC with their execution, there could have been a different way to do it. I would certainly buy that. I, I think boxing is worth preserving and um, showing it to as many audiences as possible, but I think that uh, I think that if after all that money spent and it is in no better shape, you just have to wonder about like what is the popularity? Like, oh, boxing's not popular anymore because it's not on TV as much as it could have been in network television. Turns out, even when you put it on, it doesn't change anything. Like, in other words, boxing is as popular as it is for a reason because the natural ebb and flow of popularity has, has put it there, that all these are the reasons that were provided by, well, if you put it in this position, things will change. If you do this, things will change. Like, it's being suppressed unnaturally. I don't think boxing's popularity is being suppressed unnaturally. I think this is naturally its position. Have you been watching The Ultimate Fighter? Any thoughts about the season? If so, I caught up. Yeah, it's been unbelievable. The season's fights have been so good. The drama in the house, to the extent there is any of this stupid. I feel bad for um, Benavidez and Cejudo having to show everyone, I mean, not that it was some kind of secret, but you know, just having to watch your loss against Johnson to all of these uh, other guys was a bit weird. But um, yeah, the fights have been, have, been, have been sensational. Real fighters of elite level going at it. Even on these two-round fights, I've been... I've been very impressed by it. I can't recommend it enough. How do you feel about Kyle Snyder's desire to fight in the UFC and what weight class would he fight in heavyweight or light heavyweight? I suspect he would fight light heavyweight. Uh, is Norga made up better off having a tune-up fight at 155? I wouldn't call Johnson a tune-up fight. 
tuna fight is someone like torture. That's a tuna fight. But what I would say is, again, there was this criticism that, like, well, you know, he's only got the one top ten win, or was previous champ, but okay. Then he was inactive, and then all he did was be torture, because he really deserve a title shot. And I firmly believe that he does, but okay, let's say that he does it. The Johnson win provides value, because here's a guy, Johnson, who is a top fighter, uh, just coming off a little big win over another top fighter. Um, a guy inside the top five, not the top ten. And you get this ability to say, not only have I won against the top contender, I did so, let's say, with handily. In other words, it answers this question that I think is recency bias in favor of Ferguson. Well, Ferguson beat, you know, uh, let's say, uh, not, not the Mega Banana, but let's say uh, Barboza, you know, it's been more recent. Fair enough. So if he beats Johnson, um, then that at least gives him enough to say Johnson, but he beat Ferguson, it'll be a while ago. But the point being is, it allows him to say, okay, I've got a recent win, I've got a recent win over a top guy, now there can be no issue about my title shot. How about Cyborg defending her Invicta title on a UFC card? I mean, I wouldn't care, but I don't think UFC is going to do that. Prior to Alvarez beating RDA, would you have tipped McGregor to beat Alvarez? Well, the Alvarez-RDA fight would actually hurt my argument because he didn't, he didn't get rocked there early and have to come back out of a deficit of some kind uh, like he normally does. So, so no, I don't, I don't, that fight didn't change anything. It's just that historically speaking, sometimes Alvarez has been drilled and then has to, like, you know, work his way back, and he normally does, like, to his credit, he's a really talented guy, but, uh, I just mean, you know, that's, that's been a part of the process, too. Who does Nick Diaz fight next? I hope it's Lawler, but I don't know that it's going to be. Alright, let's see what's up. Back to some of these questions. Evans versus Kennedy. Do you think Kennedy finishes this fight? I think he, I think he will, yeah. Who has the better grappling at this point in their careers? I think Rashad's a little bit quicker and has better wrestling in terms of like from shots from the outside. He's got what I would call more mobile wrestling, but I think Kennedy is overall the better grappler. If Evans loses, should he retire? Yeah, I think so. If he gets knocked out, he definitely should. Question about DJ Check's visibility, we're running out of time. Here's a, here's a question. Uh, someone emailed this to me. Do you feel like Conor McGregor's quest to become a two-division champion is a is staged and a gimmick? I do not. He writes, I just feel like either he or the UFC decided this is the guy they want to accomplish this, and therefore it will happen. It has been almost a year since he won the featherweight belt and has not defended it a single time. And if Dana White actually follows through with making him vacate one of the belts afterwards, I will hold my breath, he says, what is the point? I know McGregor is the draw. But this is not a long-reigning champion expanding his dominance. This should have been for someone dominant like GSP or Anderson Silva in their day, or even someone like Demetrius Johnson now. It just feels cheap and forced. Well, it seems hurried only because McGregor has forced it in a hurry. Well, because think about it. If he didn't, this is my point earlier about the infrastructure of, of the sport and why it matters. If he said, I'm going to go to lightweight and earn my way up, he may never even get to the top. There are any murderers you'd have to get through a lightweight to do that. Not saying he couldn't, but saying it'd be a lot harder than just leapfrogging all that and hoping for a great showing against Alvarez, which I think he very well could have. Um, 
So, uh, so it just feels a little bit rushed in that sense because it does, it's not happening under the kinds of conditions that you would normally assume that it would. But I don't think it's staged. Well, it's definitely not staged. I don't think it's a gimmick. Like to be a guy who can hold two belts at the same time. You know, Darren Henderson did it in Pride. Uh, that's a real achievement. It's a real achievement, and it matters. And I can understand why he would want to do that. He is, after all, if nothing else, a competitor. All right. Um, so this is my first time using the software. I apologize if it didn't all go as planned. I appreciate you guys putting up with it. Thank you so much. I'm back, ready to rock. I got Frankie Edgar on our radio show today with Thomas Show, Series XM 93. Uh, please give this video a thumbs up and share it. You can give me feedback if you want at luke.thomas at sbnation.com. Again, one more apology about the technology. I'll get it worked out for next time. And until next time, stay frosty.